If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We have evidence that if you use just five to ten minutes of virtual reality alongside your classroom lecture, alongside your watching of YouTube videos, alongside of you working in a makerspace, it can do wonders to improving retention rates, increasing test-taking abilities, and broadly building student confidence and learning. Could virtual reality become an instrument towards more effective education? Stanford University Knight Hennessy scholar Aditya Vishwanath says, absolutely, if it's used correctly. Aditya, who is currently a doctoral student in learning sciences and technology design at Stanford, is also the co-founder of InSpirit Learning, a Palo Alto-based immersive technology company. And InSpirit Learning uses VR to deliver customizable interactive lessons in physics, chemistry, and biology. And on Tuesday, June 2nd, Aditya is going to be giving a presentation during the VR-AR Global Summit online. This is the VR-AR Global Summit's first ever all-virtual event with free access. You're invited. His presentation is going to be entitled, The Many Futures of VR in Education, Lessons from Research and Practice. Aditya, what do you remember very best about your own educational journey that inspired you to become an education professional? Oh, so growing up, my mom was a biology teacher in middle and high school all through my life as a student. And she always was my North Star inspiration to get into education. I aspire to and I still do aspire to be a teacher one day. And I think that is certainly one of the most noble professions out there. I see how hard and how difficult it is for a teacher in the world today. It is one of the most difficult jobs out there that there is to do, and also one of the most important ones that we need to support and preserve around the world. And so as someone who was very passionate for engineering and computer science, which is what I studied as an undergrad, I wanted to be as useful as possible with my technical talent and my technical skills to support teachers, students, and schools to the best of my ability. And wow, at the way you're doing that, you launched two amazing organizations within a month of each other, if I have my information correctly. Yep, yep. In addition to being co-founder of InSpirit Learning, Aditya is also the co-founder of Mumbai-based nonprofit MakerGot. MakerGot's goal is the creation of community labs to inspire social change through making. How did you first come to realize, before we look at those organizations, the potential of VR to help teachers and to serve as an educational implement? Yeah, absolutely. So I, this is actually interesting. So I was an undergraduate student at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, and I had the opportunity to spend a summer working with the Google Education team in India. And what we did for that summer was we took there was this new application. So back in 2014 or 2015, there was this new mobile application called the Google Expeditions Virtual Reality Experience, which was launched on the Google Cardboard devices, which was also a very new thing back then. And I had the opportunity to lead a study, taking that entire experience to a very low-income urban government school in India, a school that was located inside of a slum. And we spent an entire summer designing and integrating these experiences into the classroom, trying to understand how we could make something as new as VR accessible, affordable, and meaningful for a classroom 
that probably needed it the most. And the response that I saw was really very inspiring to me. The kind of reactions the students had, the teachers had, because of the things that we are afforded, or uh, the ability for them to take a field trip to almost anywhere on the planet or beyond, and the ability to integrate that into a lesson and connect that to the everyday lives and the everyday learnings of the classroom was just incredibly powerful. So that motivated me to go ahead and study this technology deeper. I went ahead, I moved on to Stanford University from Georgia Tech, and I started my PhD in education. And to me, it was always clear that the technology side of things was well understood. As in, we have the expertise and the understanding largely of how virtual reality as a technology works. What we do not know is how do you create good and powerful experiences in VR? And I saw the ability to do that as an education researcher more than as a computer scientist. And that's a big reason why I picked research in the School of Education at Stanford, which really pioneers curriculum, pedagogy, and learning science research and gets you really thinking about how you can design, develop, and integrate technologies like VR into everyday learning environments. We could spend the rest of the time talking about this, but if you had to answer that question, how do you create good and powerful learning experiences in VR, what would be one answer you would give? Absolutely. That's, a, that's the million-dollar question, I think. I guess my short answer to that question is you do not create good experiences in VR alone. You create them with the people who use them. And in this case, it's the teachers, it's the stakeholders, it's the administrators, it's the parents, it's the students. And one big thing we do at InSpirit which is the company that I co-founded a few years ago, is we are very conscious to be very close to our teachers and our students and our stakeholders at every single step of the design process. Almost all our focus group discussions are led by them. We design all our curriculums with teachers. We ensure that our team has a very large proportion of employees who have a teaching or an education background. And really, if you want to make something that works, you really have to have it connected to standards, to curriculum, to syllabi, to lesson plans, to desired learning outcomes in the classroom. You cannot be sitting in your own ivory tower, building your own content and then taking it out there, assuming it will work. It has to be a human-centered approach and a co-designed approach where you work with your users all along the process. You can't see me nodding my head so hard that I look like a bobblehead doll here. <laughs> <laughs> Would you tell me the story of InSpirit then? How did that get started for you and what came first, InSpirit or MakerGot? So it was InSpirit that came first. And the story behind InSpirit was, I mean, I noticed that there were a lot of VR companies that were popping up out there, but there seemed to be a major disconnect in expertise. But on one side, you had some people who had very, very powerful and amazing backgrounds in education who really understood how to do technology integration well in the classroom. But they often lacked the expertise with cutting-edge virtual reality. A lot of the VR that was being used at scale in schools was very basic VR that was accessed through smartphones, through Google Cardboard devices. And to be very honest, from the research that we've done in our labs here at Stanford, there is almost little to no evidence that the three degrees of freedom basic Google Cardboard VR experiences can deliver learning outcomes. They can certainly boost engagement. They can certainly boost certain aspects of learning, but the long-term sustainability of those technologies was not there. At the same time, on the flip side, you had extremely well-experienced VR developers creating cutting-edge, powerful VR experiences, but very disconnected from education, very disconnected from the challenges and the practicalities of making this work in an everyday classroom. And I saw this gap that could be bridged if you had a team that understood the pedagogy, the education, the everyday lived realities of a school and a teacher, 
and the people who have understood the technicalities of high-end, cutting-edge, high-quality virtual reality. And that was the genesis for Inspirit. We saw that this was a gap we could fill. And also, I mean, there was this other major, major challenge facing this country and also all over the world where we have a huge shortage in graduates for STEM careers and STEM jobs. And this gap is only increasing every day. In fact, the latest statistics say that almost half the students who start a STEM course, whether that's an online course or a course at a junior college, do not complete it. And the lack of completion rates, the high dropout rates, and the big gap that we have in STEM graduates is largely due to the fact that in the early stages, in early high school, as well as in early undergraduate education, and in all these test prep and tutoring centers out there, we often miss out on building confidence, building that deep level of engagement, curiosity-driven learning, which in turn promotes retention, which in turn motivates you to work harder, to build a growth mindset, and to study these content in a deeper way. And I saw VR as a very powerful opportunity to address this gap in STEM content and STEM training across all these verticals of middle school, high school, undergraduate education, tutoring, test prep. And Inspirit really was born to address that gap in STEM educational content and try to make STEM learning more immersive, more hands-on, and certainly more fun. Let's look at some of the ways that you do build that engagement. Suppose we're putting on the headset right now. I see that you have biology, you have physics, and you have chemistry. But let's say that I'm a high school student, and I'm really not that interested in sciences. I'm taking it because I have to. How do you engage me? Yeah, absolutely. So what Inspirit does, just to kind of back up a step, we have a collection of virtual labs and virtual simulations. And by no means are we trying to replace anything that you could do in the real world. The way we think about Inspirit, so we are largely inspired by one of my mentors, Dr. Jeremy Balenson, who runs the Virtual Human Interaction Lab here at Stanford University. And I like the way he describes how you want to reserve virtual reality for those activities that are too dangerous to do in the real world, that are too expensive to do in the real world, that are just counterproductive to do in the real world, or that are just impossible. And I'm paraphrasing here. And we really think that's the sweet spot where VR can have a tremendous impact. So so as a high school student, very often, especially, and this is, I think this is a majority of schools around the world and in the United States, you often do not get that one-to-one learning experience in a science lab. You often do not get that ability to have that personalized, self-paced experience of completing an entire lab activity or a lab exercise. Very often, the things you want to experiment and explore are just too dangerous to do in the real world, mixing certain chemicals, working with certain objects. And very often, also, things are just impossible. Like, imagine learning about Newtonian physics and learning about projectile motion on the surface of the moon, where you can actually throw a ball and experience what it's like to see that ball fall when gravity is different. Now, something like that would just totally blow my mind if I was in ninth grade trying to understand and learn the intuition, the physical intuition for physics before you jump into the physics equations and the math and and all the other aspects of physics. And, And for a high schooler who puts on the headset for the first time, they will be presented with a range of these lab activities and simulations. Ideally, this is something that their teacher has plugged into, and so the teacher can assign tasks to them. The teacher can assign certain activities that connect to the topics that they are studying in school. All these experiences are self-paced, so these are not storylines or YouTube videos that you would watch and that would just play and guide you through a story. These are free worlds, free roam, free spaces that you can explore, and you're often asked to complete an experiment, almost identical to what you would do in a lab. 
here's a physics playground and you need to derive the relationship between acceleration and gravity. And here are five objects. Feel free to change gravity if you wish to. And you can throw these balls and measure the time it takes for it to reach the ground. So it's the physical hands-on experience that a child can do in these virtual simulations that then builds that curiosity, that willingness to know more, that urge to ask questions that go beyond just what, but also why. And that's kind of what we're trying to get to here with VR. And we are completely efficacy-backed, so we have evidence that this works. This really works when it is integrated into existing lesson plans and, and classroom activities. I love the idea of exploring Newtonian principles as you're virtually on the surface of the moon. How much fun must that be? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Our educational system, you put your finger on it already, was kind of broken before the pandemic started. It seemed like if kids had a lot of money, they got education, and if they didn't, well, mm, good luck. How do you see what you're doing as democratizing education with VR? So that's a wonderful question, and it should be very important to also reflect. And I say this as someone who has dedicated my entire research career to virtual reality and has built a company that is completely centered on this technology, VR is not a silver bullet to solving all our problems in education. And the sooner we recognize that for every single technology out there, not just VR, the better off we will be at trying to address the more complex challenges that face our education systems. It requires a systems thinking approach. It requires collaboration. It requires partnerships with all the various stakeholders. And it is certainly a very wicked problem that needs a lot of energy and support and collective action to truly address. Where I see VR playing a very powerful role is VR does certain things really, really well. For example, when it comes to learning of procedural activities, we have ample evidence from prior research that VR is a home run for procedural training, training for tasks that would be too expensive to do in the real world. So it would be just too expensive for me to have lots of chemicals, lots of lab space, lots of other kinds of tools and equipment for a large school of a thousand students, for example, which is actually an average high school now that I think about it, to have a one-to-one learning experience for. And as the pressure and the burden on our school systems increases, we believe and we hope that the Inspirit platform could serve as a very powerful tool to support the onboarding of hundreds of thousands of students into physical schools, into virtual schools and online learning, as well as into remote learning conditions in the house. Our experiences serve as very powerful onboarding activities for wet labs like chemistry and biology. Our experiences can be practiced, so you can allow students to do it again and again at home, and you can modify the level of complexity. And most importantly, our experiences are customizable. And so as a teacher, you would also have the ability to add your own assessments and your own testing that is aligned with your state standards, for example, or your local school standards, whatever they may be, and use the same experiences that we have developed and adapted to your existing lessons and your curriculum. Now, we believe VR only works when it is done in tandem, along with everything else that's happening in the classroom. So by no means are we advocating for you to replace any existing lab or any existing teaching or any existing learning activity with a spirit. But we have evidence that if you use just five to 10 minutes of virtual reality alongside your classroom lecture, alongside your watching of YouTube videos, alongside of you working in a makerspace. When you integrate a VR component to that entire curriculum and that entire learning experience, it can do wonders 
to improving retention rates, increasing test-taking abilities, and broadly building student confidence and learning. We talked briefly about a high school student, but what are you doing? First of all, can you use VR for the younger students, let's say K through six, is this safe to use? Yeah, so as in Spirit, we target middle school and above. So early middle school around sixth grade and above is our primary demographic. And we actually go all the way through higher education, as I had earlier mentioned. The thing with K through six is there is research. Again, everything we do is grounded in pedagogy and curriculum research that has been happening for decades, both at our lab at Stanford and also in many other places around the country. And if I just were to speak about the research out there, we know very little about VR with young children. If you look at a lot of the consumer virtual reality headsets out there, the Oculus devices, the HTC devices, most of them will have a 13 plus age rating on them as well. And that's for a good reason, because even they know that we know very little about how young children should be using and interacting with this technology. Having said that, I mean, the signs are very promising. There is a lot of evidence that VR as a tool can deeply boost engagement, can increase, can boost confidence levels, can improve student test-taking abilities even at a young age. But I still feel like there needs to be a lot more research to look at the safety aspects, the privacy aspects, and also simple questions like how long should a VR experience be when you have a fourth grader in it? What is the upper limit beyond which it can be tiring? It can cause, it can cause headaches beyond which you should just not have your child in the VR experience. And given all those factors, and given that this is still such a new and evolving field, I personally, and through Inspirit, we are not super comfortable working with young kids, but we would love to explore the possibilities for virtual reality across lifelong learning, really. And I do think that's the future. Which reminds me, it looks like you were having a survey through Inspirit Learning. Would you tell me a little bit more about this one, please? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what we're doing right now, which kind of ties into our human-centered design approach and methodology, is we're trying to work with teachers around the country and around the world, really. Teachers, parents, students, administrators, and any other stakeholder who really cares about virtual reality. We're creating a bunch of focus groups and a bunch of communities, micro-communities that are local to where you are, as well as that allow you to connect with like-minded people, for example, teachers who are trying to bring VR into their schools. And we're essentially gathering people a few times a month. It's done on a rolling basis to both brainstorm, to give us feedback, and to help us refine and improve our product, the micro levels of our product. So as low as the very specific interactions that a student does in a simulation to as high up as what should be other labs and other experiences and other simulations that we should be creating next. What are the big gaps and what are the big opportunities for VR that you see from your vantage point as a teacher or as a parent or as a student, for example. So so there is, yes, we are circulating a survey and I would love it for anyone listening in to go to our website at inspiritvr.com, I-N-S-P-I-R-I-T-V-R.com and sign up if you're interested in participating in one of our webinars, our focus group sessions. And we just have a community that is very intellectually stimulated around all topics VR and all topics around VR and research trying to help us refine and improve what we're trying to do today. Inspiritvr.com. I didn't want to do this without saying that you are going to be giving a presentation during the VR AR Global Summit online. Would you give me a preview of your talk, please? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to use the talk as an opportunity to really set the stage for truly what we know based on academic research on what VR can do for learning and truly the things that we do not know. There's a lot of pop sci 
claims and facts out there about how we are maybe the silver bullet that will solve all our problems in education. And I want to really take a more data-driven and research-driven approach to describing the power and the potential of this technology for sure, but also the challenges of this technology if it is not integrated in a human-centered and meaningful way. So I'm going to use that. My, I think I have 30 minutes to kind of go through many, many decades of research and findings through academic work. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about what we do at Inspirit and what our plans are moving forward. And then I was hoping to use the additional time in the talk to have a healthy discussion with the participants around the questions they may have and how we might be able to work together moving forward. Let's be sure and give the time of your talk. This is on June 2nd, I believe, but what time of day? It's at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. If you go to the website, it will give you the time in UTC as well as in your local time zone. And this, of course, is all over the world. I will certainly be checking it out and would encourage other people to do that as well. When you say the obstacles and the problems that we might encounter in implementing VR, what would be one of them other than the fact that people sometimes do tend to think it's a silver bullet and it's not? But what's another obstacle we must overcome to get it working in the real world? So, I mean, certainly cost. And I would say infrastructure more broadly. And when I, within infrastructure, cost is one of the pieces here that is certainly a big barrier. And I think cost is going to be the least of our problems in the next year or so, because the trends are just showing that the costs of six degrees of freedom, immersive, um, portable virtual reality is significantly going down. I mean, what used to cost you maybe $20,000 just a few years ago is a consumer device that's cheaper than an average smartphone today that you can buy off the shelf. And that's just incredible, the pace at which costs are going down. But still, I think cost is a barrier, but we're on that inflection point where cost may hopefully be more of a meaningful price point for more and more users, both at the home and in schools and in universities to adopt and bring VR. I also think education of the use of VR, of the meaningful use of VR is very important. This is true for almost every teaching or learning aid that is brought into the classroom, not just VR. If you do not have a thorough and a well thought out integration strategy or a plan, it will eventually just become another device that is collecting dust on the shelf. And this is important because what happens is a lot of people today are selling VR under the novelty and the newness of the technology. There is certainly a glamour around the wow factor of what VR can offer. The problem with novelty is that over time it wears off. And once novelty wears off, you have to truly depend on the true learning outcomes and the affordances of the technology. And if VR is not able to deliver that from the get-go, it will just become another tool that's sitting on the shelf. So it's very important to focus on grounded curriculum design, pedagogy research, and integration plans alongside building cutting-edge, high-quality VR experiences for this to truly work. What are you most excited for? As I see that you're going to have a launch in August of 2020 of Inspirit, what's going to be most exciting for you, and what's going to be, do you think, the biggest challenge? Oh, yes, absolutely. So August is when our platform goes live and it will be open for anybody anywhere in the world to purchase or even download and try out for free. We Between now and then, we're actually in complete iteration, testing, feedback mode, and that's why we have all these surveys out there, as you had asked me earlier, because we just want to ensure what we're doing is useful and what we're doing is truly meaningful for the people we're trying to serve. I am really thrilled to see this finally become a reality because we have spent over a year developing this product and many years before that doing research and a lot of testing in schools. So 
So this really is a culmination of a lot of our efforts, and I'm super excited because this is also just um, the beginning. Wow, what a great place to be. Other than what you're creating within Spirit Learning, what are some of the resources you really love for maybe even creating VR, but also for experiencing it? So I think the wonderful thing about, I think what makes VR successful and what will make VR a successful technology or a medium is when you can have more and more people becoming creators in the technology. It's one thing to access content. It's one thing to use content, but you want to democratize the creation process. And the faster we can get to where we can create powerful experiences and have the ability to share experiences the way we are able to share images or YouTube videos today, that would be the win for VR. And the closest, I guess, crowdsourced collection of not VR, but 360 content and experiences is probably Google Maps or Google Earth just because of the history of data that they have of 360-degree images from all over the world. And there are so many over the last four years, and this was, I mean, this peaked maybe two or three years ago, and it's now really flattened. It hasn't really grown much beyond that. But two or three years ago, the big win really for 360 and VR was the fact that a lot of these platforms came up where you could just pull 360 images that somebody else took and add your own annotations to it, embed your own metadata onto it, and create a tour a tour of virtually anything on the surface of this planet. And that is powerful. The ability for me to be in my living room and put on a Google Cardboard headset that would cost me virtually 5 to $10. And I could even download the specs for this headset and make it at home for free if I wanted to. Insert my smartphone into it. Ubiquity of smartphones is also increasing. And essentially visit any part of the world, even if it were just a static image, that itself was a very powerful and a very meaningful step in the direction to kind of more democratized way of accessing and using VR. So I think there are a lot of such platforms out there that try to crowdsource and share large volumes of user-generated virtual experience content. I would love to see something similar happen to video-based VR, so not just images, and live action, as well as VR worlds that are created on platforms like Unity. I think we need more creators to enter the space for that to happen, and I think we need to have more curriculums out there for education on best practices for developing in VR, design principles for how we can design and build the powerful experiences in VR. And the more of those we can organize, the more we can build this community. What an exciting place to be right now. We have barely said a word about maker got. Got is a new word for me. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's actually a Hindi word that's used very frequently in urban India, especially in the northern parts of India. It typically refers to the bank of a river or the bank of a watering hole. And usually a lot of localities and neighborhoods will have ghat appended to the end of their name. Maker ghat was something that I started a little over a year ago now with a colleague of mine. Again, the goal here was to, in very similar lines, to bring that curiosity, that hands-on learning to education. But we saw the gap was, in this case, was in the urban low-income youth of India. We started with Mumbai in Bombay, and our objective was to create physical, not virtual, but physical centers, physical labs, and physical spaces where youth could gather, could tinker, could make, and could experiment with a very high room for failure. And this was largely because I was very inspired by a lot of the youth I met and I've worked with over the years from these communities. And, and I saw what had worked for me as a student too, maker spaces and hands-on learning experiences whether in virtual worlds or whether in physical worlds, really was what got me excited about science. And that's what got me excited about problem solving broadly and becoming an entrepreneur. And I wanted to build more such spaces where we could offer those to 
students who may not necessarily have the access to such resources and tools. I love what you're doing. I got to look both at the quilling, which is wow, and also the hearts. Yep. <laughs> but also the three different things that Maker Gut was doing in order to help the communities through the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I mean, our students have taken, our students and their families and our volunteers on the ground have just been so incredible at the front lines. It is inspiring, I mean, to see how they have taken up the charge to distribute food, supplies, other immediate resources, everything from water to sanitary napkins to any family that lives in these low-income slum communities that may not have access to a local grocery store, that may not have access to everyday required items in the house. And they've just, they've just totally turned our center. We had physical spaces, as I mentioned, and we've just turned those spaces into hubs where we can just collect and distribute supplies and food. And a lot of our, if not all our programming has moved virtual and online over the last few months. How can people best support you with Maker Got if they're in a position to do so? What do you need? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we're a, we're a nonprofit organization, Maker Got. It's totally unrelated to, it's a different entity from InSpirit. And with Maker Got, I mean, we're always seeking support, of course, through funding and donations. So if you are in a place where you would either know people or would be able to contribute in any way, please go to our website, again, makerghat.org, M-A-K-E-R, maker, and then G-H-A-T, ghat. And other than that, I mean, we our students always look for mentors. We are a space that, again, promotes STEM education. So anything in any vertical of STEM, these are students who are aspiring engineers, aspiring doctors, aspiring entrepreneurs, aspiring artists of every kind, and if you believe you have an expertise in any one of those areas and you think students would benefit from your mentorship, your guidance, your ideas, they're working on projects all the time and they're seeking for support, which can, of course, be done virtually wherever you are in the world. Again, makergot.org, a great chance to make a difference. With everything you have done, Aditya, including your volunteer experience, I didn't even mention that you volunteered for UNICEF, but your current work and your current studies, what would you consider one of the most personally rewarding experiences you've had? Oh, I think the most rewarding experiences have been when I have had the opportunity to be a fly in the wall in a classroom. I spent a lot of my early days as an undergraduate student in the summers just volunteering in schools and classrooms, just being a fly on the wall. To me, it was the best way to learn, the best way to go into a school was without any assumptions, without any plans, without my own nonsense on how I think I could solve problems, and just be a fly on the wall and observe. And it was just fascinating to see the way in which things panned out, to see how a teacher managed an entire classroom, to see how students interacted with one another. And over, I think, the three-year period, I was lucky and really grateful to have the opportunity to sit in all kinds of schools and classrooms. I spent some time in schools in rural Georgia, in the border of Georgia and Tennessee, Again, Title One, extreme low-income schools that even did not have an internet connection or were struggling with basic internet connection challenges to very urban elite private schools, to urban schools in India, to rural schools in India, to urban low-income schools in India, and just the diversity of backgrounds and schools and structures that I was able to experience was probably one of the most rewarding experiences for me. It was what reinforced my desire to become a teacher once I am done with my PhD, and once I'm moved on from my current education enterprises, 
And it has continued to inspire me to ensure whatever I do can support teachers and students of all backgrounds in the most meaningful ways possible. I think we agree that teachers are the superheroes of our time. Absolutely. What have you considered one of the best lessons you've learned as you become a professional educator? Um, I think it's related to what I just said. I think it's taking a beginner's mindset is really important when you first go in as an educator. I think teaching is one of the most powerful ways to learn. I was I have been teaching assistants or tutors um, throughout my time as a student. I have volunteered as a teacher many times. I've seen my mom be a teacher throughout my entire life, and she also will agree with me that the most rewarding way to learn and the most long-term and sustainable way of learning is by being a teacher. Every time you teach the same thing, there is something new you learn about yourself, about the person you are teaching, as well as about the topic. And I just think that's just fantastic and really a very rewarding experience and why I also want to be a teacher. I'm hearing you say, listen. I'm hearing you say, keep an open mind. And I'm hearing you say, be creative and be ready to approach things differently. Yep, yep. As we wrap up here, if people could only get one thing from you and your work within Spirit and MakerGot about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you really love them to take away from you? Oh, that's tough. I, <laughs> I think if it was one thing, I would say collaboration is key. You're not going to solve or even attempt to address these challenges and problems alone. It's a collaborative effort. It's an effort where you can include as many, if not every, stakeholder as possible. It involves approaching the problem from all perspectives. Very often, it is very easy for us to be siloed into thinking that our way of doing things is the and the only way of doing things. Very important to recognize that there are all kinds of stakeholders who are trying to really ask the same questions that you are asking, but from different angles, from different lenses, from different experiences and backgrounds, probably much more profound than what you have. And so it's very important to recognize that you need to collaborate, you need to partner, you need to work with every step of the journey. Aditya, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I had a lot of fun doing this. You and I have been listening to Aditya Vishwanath, co-founder of both InSpirit Learning Immersive Technology Company and Mumbai-based nonprofit MakerGot. During the VRAR Global Summit's first all-virtual event, Aditya is going to be giving his presentation The Many Futures of VR in Education, Lessons from Research and Practice. His talk is scheduled for 2330 UTC on Tuesday, June 2nd. 2330 UTC, if you are in the Pacific Daylight Time Zone, translates to 430 in the afternoon on Tuesday the 2nd, and that's 1.30 if you're on the East Coast. Access to the VRAR Global Summit is free. You'll find more information at VRARglobalsummit.com. Meanwhile, as Aditya mentioned, InSpirit Learning is launching in August of 2020, and they are seeking input from educators, parents, and students for their summer focus group. You can find out more at InSpiritVR.com. Once again, that's InSpiritVR.com. And here is one more link for you. Take a look at MakerGot.org. MakerGot, spelled M-A-K-E-R-G-H-A-T, features an online learning hub with STEAM lessons, a gallery, and a number of other learning resources. And if you can help by supporting them or volunteering to mentor students, they would love to hear from you. That is once again, MakerGot.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, 
Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, to mavericks.com. And you can contact us, to mavericks, at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.